welcome back to the second episode of this podcast, which is called Crime and the Science Behind It All. Um, If you are new here, I'm very excited to welcome you to this amazing podcast where we will be talking in depth of many different kinds of crime cases and how they will be solved or if they will never be solved and remain a mystery. Um, My name is Mar Metz and I am the host of this podcast. Uh, I'm located in Ohio, and the date is Saturday, October 30th, 2021. Um, I hope that all of you had had a great week and are having an um, amazing weekend as well. So today we are going to be focusing on a specific crime case. Uh, This crime case used hair as a piece of evidence, and then eventually... The hair that was used as the evidence was um, used to solve the case. So the crime case that we will be talking about today is the Cecile Sutherland case. So before we go any further, um, this is a warning that the content we will be talking about is viewer discretion advised. The content we'll be talking about includes a lot of cruel and in-depth violence that we will be discussing, along with sexual and physical assault that may disturb some listeners. So to start us off, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background information, just so you guys have some knowledge of Cecile Sutherland. Um... This is just going to be a way and a guide as we go through the case for you guys so you guys have a better understanding. And um, we will not be going into details quite yet. Um, We will do that when we get further into the podcast. But again, this is just going to help you put two and two together. And just as we go through the podcast, you will just um, be able to understand it a little more. So Cecile Sutherland was born on May 28th, 1955. Uh, He lived in Kell, Illinois, USA. He was a white male, and at the time, he was 31 years old. So he murdered Amy Shawls on July 1st, 1987. And again, we'll go into further details as we get into the podcast. Um, But the hairs that were found on Amy linked back to Sutherland. And because of this, he was arrested on October 22nd, 1987. He was then sentenced to death on November 13th, 1989 in Marion County, Illinois. And this is um, kind of a shocking thing. So during his sentence, uh, he requested the death penalty before they even got to actually, like, giving it to him. Um... So, currently, the big picture of this case is that a 31-year-old Cecile Sutherland murdered Amy Shawls. Um, and if this just doesn't give you any, like, idea, uh, it does for me because he had to have done something, like, extremely terrible <laughs> for, like, him to request a death penalty on himself. I don't know if this was a guilt thing or what, but um, it's like pretty deep if they request the death penalty upon themselves uh so this obviously shows that he was very guilty and um 
again, as a human, to literally request to die is one of the biggest things ever. And uh, I believe that he did that he did know that he did a horrible thing. Um, but wow, just even request the death penalty is just crazy stuff. Um, so now we're going to change gears a little bit and talk about the victim, Amy Shawls. Uh, Amy was a 10-year-old girl, which just makes this whole case, like, even worse than it already was. Uh, Amy lived in a mobile home, which was half a mile south of Kell, Illinois. Um, Amy lived in the mobile home with her father, Dennis, her two brothers, Adam and Ryan, and her stepmother, Esther. Um, earlier in the day before Amy went missing, she spent some time with her father and Ryan, who was one of her brothers, uh, at her father's business. So she did spend the day with her father before she went missing. So now I'm going to be talking in depth about the case and all the events that occurred. So it was July 1st, 1987. Um, I believe that it was a beautiful evening, and it was approximately 9 o'clock p.m. Um, so, 10-year-old Amy Shawls from Kell, Illinois, left her home looking for her brother. Her brother had previously left the home before any of this, and he was believed to be looking for a runaway dog. So, Kathy Simmons, who was 16 years old at the time was a resident of Kell, and she testified that she last saw Amy in the evening on July 1st of 1987 um, because her and her sister Sherry were going on a walk together. And while they were on the walk, Amy actually came up to both of them and asked if they had seen her brother. Uh, so she then was last, she then last saw Amy walking down south on 4th Street 4th and Jefferson Street around 9, 10 p.m. Uh, Simmons also testified that a little while, like a couple minutes after she saw Amy um, walking down Jefferson Street, a tan and older vehicle was also seen driving down south in Jefferson Street, which she said this was odd because she had already seen the car twice that evening and, like, she did not recognize the car. Like, she knew most of the residents and knew, like, obviously their cars, but she did not recognize this car. So, it just kind of stood out to her in a way. So, Darlene Pryor, who was also a Cal resident, testified as well. She mentioned that on the night of Amy's disappearance, she was driving uh, north on Jefferson Street on her way home from her sister's house. Uh, when she noticed the, a vehicle was driving over the speed limit and it was just kind of obvious and she just kind of thought it was weird. Uh, she described that the car was a cream colored and it looked like an older Dodge Polaris. So uh, then on July 2nd, 1987, which was the day after Amy went missing, a worker found her nude body outside an oil factory. So Richard Codwell was the crime scene technician for the Illinois State Police, and he testified that the victim's body was found covered in dirt. Uh, he described that the victim was nude and laying on 
her stomach with a lot of dust and dirt on her. Um, her head was covered in blood and also had a very large pool of blood around her head. And uh, since there was a pool of blood around her head, the victim most likely died at that spot. Uh, he also went on to describe in his testimony that when he got there, the victim had an open wound on the right side of her neck. And through the open wound, you could see the spinal cord. Um, so it was cut pretty deep. There was, there was also a shoe print on the victim's back and there were hairs found stuck in the rectum area. Um, so after Codwell was done observing the body, he started looking around the crime scene to see if he would notice anything suspicious, could find anything. Well, he did, and he found a set of tire tracks, uh, there. They started at the entrance of the factory, and then they ended about 17 feet from where the victim's body laid. Um, he also found that about... Six feet from where the tire tracks had disappeared, uh, a shoe imprint was found, and the imprint found on the ground was similar to the shoe imprint that was found on the victim's back. So Codwell made sure they secured these valuable pieces of evidence, so he uh, made a plaster cast of both the shoe evidence and tire impressions. Uh, Her clothes were found scattered along uh, an access road in rural Jefferson County, When they found the victim's clothes, the underpants were cut up the sides and the t-shirt and shorts had been turned inside out. Um, Along with the tire impressions and shoe imprint, Codwell also made sure to package and gather Amy's clothes uh, to use as evidence as well. So now we are going to be talking about the autopsy. So, the autopsy of Amy Shawls was done by Dr. Steven Nuremberger on July 3rd, 1987. This was two days after Amy's death and three days after she disappeared. So, the autopsy revealed four marks to her neck, which was cut by a non-serrated blade. Uh, The four marks on the neck then came together to form one deep cut, which ended up right behind the ear, uh, the right ear. Uh, This cut sliced through the jugular vein and the carotid artery. Uh, So Dr. Nuremberger also discovered a hemorrhaging to the right eye along with hemorrhaging to multiple neck muscles. Um, He also found that the larynx uh, was crushed and her right ear was torn off and the skin under her lip as well as at the base of both of her ears was cut deeply so there was bruising to her private parts as well and the medical examiner reported three bruises to the brain a fractured rib a torn liver uh, her vocal cords were bleeding and her esophagus was bruised Um, after the autopsy was over dr nuremberger um, testified that the victim had been strangled around the neck by human hands. Uh, He also went on to testify that the victim's throat was cut after she was strangled. Uh, He said this possibly could have happened. Um, She could have been strangled to unconsciousness, uh, but that cannot be determined, obviously, unless we had an eyewitness. 
So we previously talked about how Amy was found in a pool of blood, so she most likely died at that spot. Uh, we ended up being correct. So Dr. Nuremberg explained that since the pool of blood was at the location where the body was found, it was definitely indicated that the body died at the spot. Um, so the body was not moved after her throat was cut, so they were at the primary crime scene. Um, he also discovered that the draining of blood from the organs was much faster than normal. Uh, in Dr. Steven Nuremberger's own words, he said that this was because someone stepped on her back and squeezed the blood out of her body. Kenneth Knight, who was a forensic scientist and also an expert in hair and fiber analysis, um, he explained and recovered multiple hairs uh, from the victim's body. Sorry, not explained, examined, and recovered multiple hairs from the victim's body. Um, so there were hairs in the victim's rectum that were found and recovered. Uh, the hairs that were found were eight Caucasian head hairs, which matched Amy's hair, um, two Caucasian pubic hairs, uh, which were forcefully removed from a human, and one Caucasian hair found was actually undetermined from which body origin it was from, and one animal hair was recovered, but it was an undetermined species. Um, so after the recovery of these hairs, the pubic hairs were used to help screen the suspects. Uh, Kenneth conducted a microscopic examination. So by doing this, he had considered 23 different characteristics of the hairs. Some of these included the color, the length, the configuration, if the tip of the hair was broken, rounded, cut, or shaved. Uh, he determined the shaft of the hair, the pigmentation, the scale pattern, um, and the cuticle. So if the suspect's hair uh, does not match the exact analysis of the pubic hairs that were found on the victim, then the suspect must have been excluded. Uh, so everything had to match up to make sense, you know. So then we have Harold Deadman. Uh, he was the state's expert on forensic analysis of hair, fiber, and DNA. Uh, he tested the pubic hairs that were removed from the victim. Um, so they went through a mtDNA analysis. Uh, the prosecution presented evidence that DNA analysis linked hairs that were found on the girl to Sutherland. So based on the autopsy, the coroner took away the knowledge that the time of death was anywhere between 9.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. And again, this all occurred on July 1st, 1987. Uh, so now we're going to be talking about how they tracked down Sutherland. So, in October of 1987, which was about four months after the death of Amy, uh, Cecile Sutherland left his home in Jefferson County, Illinois, and drove all the way to Montana. Um, later in the month of October, Sutherland actually got arrested for a charge that was totally unrelated to Amy's case. So, when the Montana authorities asked Jefferson County police for some information on Cecile Sutherland, uh, they kind of got suspicious and instantly, like, it sparked an interest that Sutherland actually might be the potential killer of Amy. So, because of this, uh, Jefferson County got a search warrant for Sutherland's vehicle and his personal belongings. Um, so, then Jefferson County authorities then flew all the way down to Montana, after getting the warrant and collected hair samples from Cecile Sutherland. Uh, the hair samples that they collected were the head, beard, chest, and pubic hairs. 
Um, then on June of 1988, which was eight months after everything that we just talked about happened, um, Cecile Sutherland was charged with kidnapping, criminal sexual assault, and the first-degree murder of 10-year-old Amy Schultz. So now we have the result of everything. Um, Cecile Sutherland was convicted of all charges. He was then found eligible for the death penalty. And like we talked about earlier, um, after he was convicted, uh, he himself requested the death penalty. And then he was later sentenced to death by the court after he was convicted and requested it. Um, Either way, he would have probably got it, but... With the requesting of it from him personally, I think things just moved a lot faster than they normally would. So overall, Cecile Sutherland kidnapped, raped, beat, strangled, and murdered 10-year-old Amy Shawls. Uh, What was going through his head, I have absolutely no idea, but it had to have been some crazy and dark thoughts for sure. Uh, We will never know truly why he did it. Um, I don't know what even makes you want to do anything like that um but along with all that many people uh, argue about the fact whether or not the death penalty is an okay thing for the government to allow even in situations like this um so I'll leave you guys thinking about the death penalty and if it should have been used in this situation or not but I mean again for a 31 year old guy to do all this crazy and horrible things to a 10-year-old who he didn't even know, like, that is just, I mean, there's, was definitely something wrong with him on a lot of levels. So that is all that I have for you guys today. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Um, And make sure to turn on the post notifications so you'll get notified whenever I release my next episode of this podcast. Um, I hope you all have a great week and I can't wait to share the next crime case with you. (laughs) 